Well, something bad is going to happen. Why? Because I found parking in the city two days in a row. Two days in a row. Oh, good for you. That's really hard. Yeah. So something bad's going to happen. I plead the blood of Jesus over me. I don't. I don't speak for you. I speak for myself. I don't claim that. Was that? English? It was English, and you're not about to tell me something bad is happening. You know what I wake up and I say every single day? I'm so lucky everything works out for me. You don't say that every single day. You just learned that on TikTok in 2023. You do not say that nope, you just that's started not true. it. You know what I was saying before that? On TikTok. You know what was, I was saying before that? What? I don't chase, I attract, and what belongs to me will simply find me. And you know I started saying that every day for two months, and then my life changed. You're a nasty slop bottomus. Welcome to the podcast, I Think Not, where me, Ellen Marsh, I keep forgetting to say my name, and Joey Taranto are recapping all of your favorite true crime TV shows. Also, tell the listeners what your t-shirt says. It says, I slapped Weezer Boudreaux on it. A listener gave it to me, I think in Nashville, and I was like, this is amazing. Someone just gave you that? Here, take a whack of Weezer. What are the top five movies that you and I quote collectively? Clue. Yeah. Steel Magnolias. Yeah. Mean Girls. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Um, Legally Blonde? Or is that just me? I think we both quote that. If you would like more Joey and I, you can join us on the Patreon. That is where we give you our bonus content, our ad-free content. We give you some bestie insider stuff. It's like the inside circle, if you will. Yeah, and And, my nudes. Don't forget my nudes. Yeah, you can get Joey's nudes Uh when you go to (laughs) www.blzebubsboobs.com. Check it out. I have it. Yeah, no, you're nudes are at www. Now who made this dot Do you remember we said this on the podcast when that other girl used to go here. Uh-huh. Do you remember when Tommy Bracco's nudes leaked? My nudes leaked. My nudes leaked. <laughs> oh, it's just one word. My nudes leaked. Yep. But over on the Patreon is where you will find like, I don't know, 10,000 bonus episodes. I don't know, somewhere between one and 10,000 of all the old stuff we have covered from Snapped. I think we should go back to Snap. Well, we can. Snap, see no evil, evil lives here, pink collar crime. Great series. Uh, remember Love, Honor, Betray? I think we only did like four episodes. That shit was dark. That was too dark. Yeah, we have some dark ones and we uh-huh. have some light ones. There's, there's, there's something for everyone. We're like a cavell. <laughs> A what? A Cavell. <laughs> you can go to Cavell, you can get ice cream, you can get ice cream cake. Or we're like the Dairy Queen, you can just get a Coke. I freaking love Dairy Queen. If you're Queen. thirsty. There is a Dairy Queen in my new neighborhood. Ask me how many times I've been, 17. <laughs> but this week, you know we're popping around to all your favorite shows. We're covering a really, really cool show called City Confidential. Yeah. Now we learn, just so you know, we learn different platforms have different episodes and seasons. Like Amazon will have something different than Hulu and something different than ID. So moving forward, all my down bitches, listen up. We're just going to give you the episode name because that shit could be different because We had some confusion over here at the Obsessed Network. We are not that smart. You all are. So this is a show called City Confidential, and we are covering an episode from season one, and it is called New Orleans. Betrayal in the Big Easy. New Orleans is known for the gardens and homes of the French Quarter, for ghosts and voodoo. In October of 1994, it came to be known for something else. Murder. That year, the city was the murder capital of the United States. 
One of the hundreds of victims was Kim Groves, a mother of three. But Groves' death was different. Groves' murder would pull down the crumbling facade of justice in the city and reveal deep-rooted police corruption, an FBI sting operation, and a killer cop. Here we are, my friends. I did choose this for my baby, Joseph. Thank you. And how are you feeling? Listen, we're in my backyard. Yeah. I'm a pig and shit. It's New Orleans, and it's in the 90s? Come on. So I actually... I had a hunch you were from New Orleans. Did you? Yeah, but what I gave it away? It was a feeling. It was an inkling. It was just a tickle in my tummy. But you are from New Orleans. You never mentioned. I that. am. And did I also mention that I am a minister's son? It's so funny because that is very inherently part of your fabric. Yeah. But I don't feel like I like. Do I bring up that I'm from California a lot? You talk about Oakland. I you do? talk about yeah. Okay. I right. feel like. How can we not, like, our family, I mean, we have so much defining moments with our families in the cities we grew up in. Like, It's just you make it your whole personality. I don't make that my whole personality. I make being gay my entire personality. That was the other thing that I was going to (laughs) say. Wait, so you know I've never been to New Orleans, right? I know, and that is a crime. It is wild. We got to get you there. But we're here. I mean, you know, I feel like I know a lot of New Orleans, but I learned a lot today. You know, I think of New Orleans, I think of... The musical heritage, the culture, the fun, the food, mm-hmm. the festivities. But I learned that New Orleans is kind of dangerous. New Orleans is dangerous and it can be it can be amazing. It can be beautiful. It can also be dark. Yeah. Quite dark. That's the thing about New Orleans. New Orleans has a is very rich in cultural history. It also has a very dark history history and all of those things combined is what makes New Orleans the magical town that it is now. Yeah. These stats really I'm not I'm not kidding. These stats really really shocked me. We're going to talk about some corruption, my friends, and I don't mean our past relationships. No. I mean real real corruption. We're talking undercover sting operations, we're talking murder, we're talking all kinds of stuff. This was new information to me. New Orleans was at one point the murder capital of the United States. It sure was. Did you know you lived in the murder capital? You lived there when it was the murder capital. But you know what? It's one of those things where in New Orleans, like, it was just what you were raised on. It's like, well, New Orleans is beautiful, but it's very dangerous. And you're like, okay. And you just accept that for what it is. You know, we didn't live in fear. Yeah. But New Orleans is a complicated city, but I love it. And I do miss it. In fact... This is what I have to say. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans and miss it each night and day? Louis Armstrong. Yeah. The best. And also, everyone should always live in a little bit of fear. <laughs> I mean, I do. Just of everything. Actually, you should. I, I fear everything. Well, I don't fear everything, but I do have a healthy amount of fear because I feel like... I fear you. Why? I don't know. You're unpredictable. I don't think I'm unpredictable. In fact, I think I'm extremely predictable. Don't you think? You hit me that one time. I've never told anyone about it. Shut the fuck up. As if. Steamy, sensuous. New Orleans sits at the top of the Mississippi Delta. Not like a queen, but like an aging courtesan. I feel seen. (laughs) I feel embraced. I feel embraced 
by New Orleans. And they're like, oh, Zellin, uh, she's just an aging courtesan. <laughs> you know that movie Moulin Rouge you- and the Nicole Kidman role where she dies of consumption Yeah, she end? dies of consumption. How is Ellen? <laughs> aging courtesan. I was the head courtesan in Rogers and Hart's Boys from Syracuse. If anyone wants oh. to take a deep cut before Rogers and Hammerstein was Rogers and Hart, and they wrote Boys from Syracuse based on what Shakespearean play, say it if you know it. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> the Taming of the Shrew. No. As you like it. Okay, I don't know. I don't know that musical, and I don't really know Shakespeare all that well. I love Shakespeare. Yeah. I don't know that much of New Orleans. The only thing I know of New Orleans is what I learned on The Real World, honestly. And What and, a great season. And your stories of Diggy Doon and Lee Gayton. And an amongst of them. Which nobody still knows what yes, that means. Yes, they do. They all know it. Now they all use it. I but let that. me tell you, that was a great season it of It was a great Real season. World. Did you watch The Reunion? I couldn't get past episode two because I was like, this, this is going to ruin it for me. Why? You know, it was kind of crazy to see all of it. Like, it was really sad to see, like, how Danny is sort of like a shell of who he once was and how much he went through. It's understandable. And also, like, Julie Julie was a hot fucking mess. Like, the the microaggressions, she she was dishing out to people of color. Like, it was uncomfortable. Yeah. I will probably go back and watch it, but I will say Melissa. Melissa's a star. I love her. She also, was a she was star. keeping everybody in line. She was one of the funniest people we had seen on reality yeah. TV yet. But like, also she was an, a comedian. What an interesting background that she had. She's yeah. half black, half Filipino. Yes. And I mean, what what a world to live in. Yeah. Rosemary James moved into the French Quarter 30 years ago and wouldn't live anywhere else. New Orleans has a, a certain beauty that is a little on the corrupt side, for want of a better word. Um, She's no longer young, but she's not yet old. In other words, she's still receiving and uh, charming the pants off of people. (laughs) Rosemary James is here, and she says there is nowhere she would rather live. And she's basically like, New Orleans is like me. It's old and fabulous. (laughs) I was like, I, I, what am what, what I going to do? Argue with you, Rosemary? People visit New Orleans and they either love it or they hate it. And some people become obsessed with it. There's, I know plenty of people who are I'm like, how did you end up in New Orleans? And they're like, oh, I went to Tulane or I went to Loyola yeah. and I loved it so much here. I just stayed. Yeah. Well, we're in the French Quarter. We're on Bourbon Street. And they're like, basically, there's Irish bars, T-shirt shops. And titty bars. <laughs> and then we see all these, like, we see all these tourists being interviewed about New Orleans and just talking about how exciting and sexy it is. And this one guy is so excited to talk about New Orleans. He's like, I mean, I'm from New Hampshire. <laughs> New Hampshire. Yeah. It was very close because you know what the New Hampshire state motto is, right? No. What is it? it it's New Hampshire. We have a lot of stuff, but no titty bars. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. It's on the flag. <laughs> So he got he got really excited. That's good. Yeah, but then they sh- <laughs> we got a lot of. Stuff. I don't really know much about New Hampshire to be honest. Well, you're gonna piss some people off right I'm now. I'm sorry. Uh, why yeah. you didn't know? Because they're deeply, deeply rooted in culture. And what culture? Yeah. See, mayonnaise. <laughs> That's yeah. Ivory. All things white. I don't know. The battle line is called Bourbon Street, lined with Irish bars t-shirt shops and strip clubs. Bourbon Street is an international symbol of touristy good times. But they were showing stock footage of Bourbon Street and Mardi Gras and And stuff. it was spanning the decades. It, I mean, did you see who was on one of those floats? Harry Connick Jr. Harry Connick Jr. Now, question. 
Is Harry Connick Jr. to New Orleans like Dolly Parton is to Nashville? Um, well, yeah, I would say in a way, but is she like that to Nashville? Because she didn't grow up in Nashville. I'm just saying, where's Opryland? She grew up in Tennessee. She grew up in the Smoky Mountains. Yeah, of Tennessee. In, in Gatlingburg, that area. But, like, she wasn't... But, like, she's, like, a local hero. Is that what sure, Harry Connick sure. is? Sure, yeah. I can't speak to that. But, yes... Or, pe- like, what Frank Sinatra is to New York. Sure. People love yeah. Harry Connick Jr., including myself. There's, like, two famous exports of New Orleans, and it's the Titty Beads and Harry Connick. Do you know who else is from New Orleans? Ellen DeGeneres. I think I did know that. And we don't claim her. Oh, we don't like we're her. mad at her. We don't. Or like we're still her. mad at her. Oh, we are. I lose track. Okay. Yeah. No. I'll be. <laughs> listen. You tell me to be mad at someone. I'm going to be mad. And basically, they call it an adults playground. We get a little history lesson of New Orleans. And let me tell you what I know about New Orleans. Tell me. The Dixieland band at Disney World. Great. Yeah. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. Thank Truly. you. Truly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, New Orleans is a place you only need a weekend. I'm going to tell you. You only need a weekend because uh, after on day four, you are bloated. You are super dehydrated. And you are, I mean, you're hungover for days. Okay. But it is magical. I'm going to take you. I want to go. But I have one more question. They do a big, big old history lesson on New Orleans, you yeah. all. We're not yep. just like riffing here. But there's that cop that calls it New Orleans. New Orleans. Is New that? O- what New is Orleans. That? So you, that's the thing I try to explain to people. There's a lot of accents in New Orleans. There's yeah. uptown, downtown, Nightwood, West Bank, Metairie. I, there's a ton of accents. And there's people who say New Orleans. Where I'm from, we say New Orleans or New Orleans or New Orleans. There's also New Orleans. That was the thing. That was the but one. But nowhere does anybody say Nolens. I know. That I know is a that. tourist thing. But then the narrator says. It's not that there aren't laws in New Orleans. It's just that their enforcement isn't always top priority. And I was like, are, are we just lawless? Are they just like, listen, do you, because then that bartender, Lisa Harvey, yeah. she's like, you see all kinds of stuff on the street. You see people having sex on the streets. And I was like, I've what? never seen anybody having sex on Bourbon Street. There's However, a lot of things you've been keeping from me. I didn't know people just have sex ew, on the street. No, I'm not trying to swap gravy with somebody I just met from Mobile. Yeah. I'm, oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> no offense, Mobile. But the thing is, is there is a lot of everything. There are people pissing on the side of the street. There's people barfing. There are people making out. There's people flashing their boobs for beads. That's a real thing. Also, like, as a local, I've seen some crazy shit. I remember after a long night out, me and my friend, we took some ecstasy and danced the night away. And it was like 6 a.m. The sun was fully out. And we were walking to our car. And we turned to our right. And we saw a window. This is in the French Quarter with a hole through it. About, I don't know, how big is that? A potato size. Mm -hmm. And covered in blood, and I'm pretty sure that there were remnants of someone's head on there. And I it it has stuck with me to this day. It was terrifying, and there was no cops around. There was no one around. It's just lawless. It was wild. And they also say that, like, people don't care what you do. They want to know about it, (laughs) but they don't care. And I was like... Never has anything encapsulated my life more. (laughs) Wait, you guys, they do talk a lot about New Orleans, so I wanted to, like, talk a little bit, but we were at our friend's house last night, and all of my friends razzed me because they said I ask so many questions, (laughs) and I was like, I do? Yeah, this is a a conversation with Ellen. So what did you do last night? Oh, I went to dinner. Oh, who'd you go to dinner with? I usually will say, like, where did you go? Alicia. Oh, where did y'all go? Oh, we went to... Nizza. We went to Nizza. Oh, Nizza. Okay. Um, what did you eat? 
Oh, okay. <laughs> how much was your bill? I would never say how much is your bill. Did you guys bu- get drunk? Like, it's a lot of questions. I would never say how much is your bill. The only time I ask what something costs if is if it's like, oh, I'm looking at that too or I'm pricing it. You make me sound weird when you say that. I don't mean to make you sound weird, but I you do ask. I would never say how much was your bill. No, I, that I'm, I'm exaggerating on. But you do ask how much shit costs. To you, you're my best friend. I wouldn't ask that to a stranger. I wouldn't be like, I'm your best friend that you don't trust. I don't. I never trusted you. <laughs> I do love that idea. It's like, oh, we don't care what you're doing, but tell me what you're doing. That's it my is, whole life. It's very Clary. That's my whole sure. Life. It's very Clary in Steel Magnolias. As somebody always said, if you can't say anything nice about anybody, come sit by me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk about it. Of course you can. <laughs> oh, it is so good that I. I do feel like I have a kinship to the South in that respect. You do. Because like I genuinely, genuinely don't give a shit what anyone does. I just want to know. I know. I tell you, and I probably tell you way too much. I tell you way too much. That's for sure. Yes. We meet Angela Weatherland, who's a taxi cab driver, and she's going to pop in and out of this story. She's the dumb bitch. And she's like, listen, if you're looking for trouble, you're going to find it. Nighttime is a totally a lot different from the daytime in the city. It's a lot of fun. And I meet all kind of people, and I see so many things to where I wanted to put it down in a, on paper. <laughs> so I've, I've thought about writing a book myself. There's so many stories to tell, I just can't tell one. We learned late in the 80s in New Orleans that it's a little dangerous, and there is someone who actually likes the cops in New Orleans, and that's the criminals. It's true. Okay, so let me tell you, just like any other major city, New Orleans has a very dark underbelly. Sure. And there we're, is... We're going to learn about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about mafia. We're talking about corrupt cops. We're talking about corrupt politicians. Yeah. And New Orleans is notorious. I did not know that. Yeah, for corrupt politicians. I mean, just Google New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin. Wow. That man was sentenced to 10 years because he was the mayor of New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina and after. Mm. And he was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for wire fraud, bribery, and money laundering, which is basically what Rudy Giuliani did during 9-11. Right. Also, when he had that paint dripping down his face at the Four Seasons landscaping, I have never pissed my pants <laughs> laughing harder. They will never They will live. never let that down. Never. So we do have a lot of talking heads in this episode, but I just gotta say, this guy Bronson Lutz, who's just a French Quarter resident, yep. have you ever met somebody who's like trying to be honest, but also doesn't want to drag anyone through the mud? <laughs> like he is, like someone asked him what he thinks of a friend and they had a falling out, but like he still wants to be a gentleman. Yeah. He's like, he's like, how do you like New Orleans? He's like, um, so it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> When it's not dark. Yep. Yeah. I was like, oh, say what you really like. He basically was saying, it is. It's really cool. Don't be out late at night. Yeah. It's Especially tr- in the 90s. He's the Ben de la Creme of New Orleans locals. Officer Lynn Davis grew up in New Orleans in the Ninth Ward, a tough neighborhood just off the French Quarter. At the age of 23, he joined the NOPD. Sammy Williams was another local boy with dreams of law enforcement. Williams and Davis joined the force within months of each other and quickly formed a strong friendship. We meet two officers. One, do you think I thought his name was Lynn Davis the whole time until I Googled it? I sure did. No, it's Len. It's Len. Officer Len Davis, he grew up in the Ninth Ward and he wanted to be a police officer. So he joined the New Orleans Police Department with his pal who joined a couple months later, Sammy Williams. 
And we learned that, again, I was so shocked. New Orleans were the worst paid cops in the country. And you know what? At the time, the Ninth Ward was very dangerous. You're, okay, you're saying Ninth Ward. I'm sorry. It is a, it is a New Orleans thing that will stick with me for, forever. So it is the Ninth Ward but that we say he's the ninth saying. Ward. But he's... He's, I don't know, he's not talking like he's Jenny from the fucking block over here. <laughs> I, I can't no help idea. it, okay? But, like, their equipment was outdated. They were, like, they trained him for a couple hours. They barely They're trained like, them. Uh, you good? You got that gun? And like, they had you no... Good? Don't, only shoot it if you have to. Yeah. It was, it was, it was like the Wild West. It was the Wild Wild West, and they had no supervision. And here's the thing. Under those circumstances, it is a breeding ground for corruption. Because if you've got cops who are putting their life on the line every mm-hmm. day and they're not getting compensated for it. They don't feel valued. They're going to find other ways to make money. And they did. And that was through local criminals because drug dealers would pay them a large amount of money to pay for their silence, yep. to help move things. I mean, and listen, Officer Davis and Officer Williams were like, I could get used to this money. Do you remember that scene in Beaches where she gave her money and she goes, what's this for? And it goes, to keep to you keep honest. honest. It's because... If you pay someone a fair wage, a good wage, they're going to, you know, most people will have some kind of... Uh, integrity. Yeah, they'll have like integrity. They'll they they, but they take ownership, a yeah, sense of ownership over feel their good job. Good about themselves and their work. If you underpay such a dangerous job as being a police officer, how could you ever expect that anything would be anything other than corrupt? You get what you pay for. Yeah. So they basically said that they were like, we know corruption, and it's not like New Orleans was poorly run. It wasn't run at all. There was. I cannot stress this enough. There were no supervisors. There was no one really watching what these officers were doing. And that was like a a local joke was like, oh, babe, you want to get pulled over by a hijacker, not a cop. Yeah. Because you never knew what you would get. And you could not talk back to a cop in New Orleans. Word on the street was that the cops were crooked. Jokes went around the city about how it was better to be pulled over by carjackers than by cops. Our neighborhoods didn't respect police officers, except for the criminals. The criminals loved them because the police was on the criminal side. Um, the drug dealers, they sold for the police. So our favorite taxi cab driver, Angela, is here, and she's giving us all kinds of one-liners. She's like, you know, it was a free-for-all. She's actually hilarious. She'll be here all night, and she wants you to try the veal, and she wants you to know that the first Tuesday of every month is double jackpot bingo. <laughs> Over. You want to get in her cab. She's a Yes. She is, but she's uh, telling it like it is. She's she like, really it was, is. It was a free for all. And let me tell you who you couldn't trust: the cops. Yep. And and here's the other thing: New Orleans is 65 percent black. Mm-hmm. I think right now in this moment, it is 65 percent black. Okay. And really, the white folks in New Orleans, everybody knew about the corruption. Mm-hmm. Everybody knew about it. But white people in New Orleans were like, ah, it's not really affecting us. It mostly affects like people of color. So. It'll be fine. I'm not going to get involved or worry about it. And, you know, we don't have that problem anymore. Yeah, That ideology is gone. No, we live in a (laughs) utopian society where everybody is equal, women are important, and we take care of our marginalized people. I'm so glad we're past this. But the gays still are trash. We can can all agree. Don't get me started. (laughs) Someone is listening to us for the first time, and they're like, dear iTunes, they are homophobic. (laughs) This is a joke, and I'm a pickle kisser. We're we're, We're not complaining. But here's the thing. There's always someone on the inside. Oh, yeah. There, I have seen so many episodes of Law and & Order and Orange is the New... <gasps> Porn stash from Orange is the New Black. Pablo Schreiber 
does it for you? Pablo Schreiber. Okay, they make him look so creepy on that show. Uh-huh. He is a snack. Really? He Let's literally can boss me around in any room in the house that oh, he wants to. Oh, well, yeah. let me look at this man. Pablo Schreiber. He, porn stash. He is gorgeous. Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, he's just enough hot and nerdy to, like, really, really... Word. Make me a bad girl. Oh. <laughs> and so the New Orleans attitude of laissez bouton roulet rolled on. New Orleans may not have been all that concerned about police corruption, but... Someone else was the FBI. To the FBI, Davis is more than just a brutal cop. He was a ruthless leader of a criminal gang that extorted money, bought and sold drugs, and ran New Orleans like a private kingdom. Yeah, so here's the thing. Everybody joked about the corruption, but it got so bad that the FBI caught wind and they got involved. So it's 1993, and a man came to the FBI and was like, hey, I know New Orleans is super corrupt, but this is like some next-level shit because there's two guys, Sammy Williams and Len Davis, and they, like, tried to give me, like, a shakedown. We need to keep an eye on them. Yeah, it turns out that this man was like, these two officers are trying to extort me for $10,000. It's Christmas Eve, and they're telling me if I don't show up with the money at 6 o'clock, they're going to arrest me on trumped-up charges. So the FBI is now like, okay, yeah, we got to get involved. The FBI, listen, I I just did a bunch of research on Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. If The FBI can bug anything. It's true. They were, like, bugging, like, the blinds and shit. So they set these guys up, cameras, audio, and they called- the FBI can get a camera on a little chicken dick. Okay. Is there a, is there a camera in your pants currently? <laughs> so they called it Operation <laughs> Sh- when, when were we doing that? When were we doing that? Do you know what a little kid told me at Music Man closing night? What? Why does a chicken cluck so loud? Why? Because! <laughs> He just went up to you and was a like, little girl. hey, curly-haired man, want to hear a joke? <laughs> I don't remember how it happened, but I cackled. That's, that is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> is anyone still listening? <laughs> they were like, I don't know. They talked about New Orleans for 20 minutes. The feds organized Operation Shattered Shield. A complicated sting operation designed to root out the worst evils of the New Orleans police. The operation began in an old warehouse on the fringe of the French Quarter. It was there that undercover FBI agents met with Lynn Davis and hired him to protect a shipment of cocaine. They were trying to end police corruption. So undercover FBI agents, they went in for this sting, but it's called Operation Shattered Shield. And they hire Len Davis to protect some cocaine that was coming into the country. And they were like, this sounds like fun. We need some more officers. Let's go get some more New Orleans PD to come and bring this cocaine in. And it is exactly what the FBI hoped that they would do because they want to lure as many corrupt officers out of the shadows as possible. So you've got Officer Davis and his friend slash partner, Officer Williams, and other corrupt officers. I mean, and they flick the FBI's beans so hard with that. And so... 
from then on, Officer Davis was being watched closely. They tapped his phone. They put a camera and a bug in his car. And they put a camera in the warehouse, which is what they were operating out of. And we see actual footage of the meetings. It is wild. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I love those. It's like, it's very like to catch a predator. Like when they get all that like undercover stuff. It is. But also Davis recruits other cops to help out like he promised he would with the cocaine situation. And it becomes... Very clear to the FBI very quickly just how deeply corrupt the NOPD had actually was. Yeah. And also the FBI was like, yeah, it was wild. They had free reign over the city because, again, there was never a supervisor. And all the time that we were watching them and following them, there was never a supervisor who was around that they answered to. So they just did whatever the fuck they want. That is the cops. Yeah. Terrifying. Yeah, that is terrifying. Kim Groves is at the center of this case, and she grew up in the Ninth Ward. She was a single mom of three. She was suffering from substance abuse disorder, but everyone liked her. She was really well-known. She was well-liked. She was like, you know, a Southern chatty Gathy. She had a lot of heart. Yeah, and she was just like, hey, everyone liked her. So Kim was like, she went to high school with Len, so she definitely knows who he is. The rain was coming down in sheets on October 11th, 1994. Kim's old classmate... Officer Lynn Davis and his partner, Sammy Williams, were patrolling the Ninth Ward, the same neighborhood where Davis and Groves had grown up. So it's October 11th, 1994. It's pouring out. And Officer Davis and partner, Officer Williams, they're patrolling the Ninth Ward. And so they stopped a teenager on the street who was like the son of one of Kim's friends. And she watched from her window Mm -hmm. as they beat the shit out of this kid and... They pistol whipped him. Yeah. Do you know how painful that has to be? I don't. You can cause so much brain damage. We have to say, Officer Davis had a well-known reputation for being violent. The joke was that he had a disciplinary file a mile long. This man had so many complaints filed against him, but they all kind of went mostly unpunished. Tell Tell them what they called him. Oh, they called him RoboCop. RoboCop. He was just super unethical and nobody was there to police the police. And so Kim was like really, really scared. She was scared of him. She was scared of the situation. And so she went to who she thought would protect her, the police. Yeah. So she went to file a complaint against Officer Davis. And here's the thing. To protect the people who file the complaints, their information is supposed to remain confidential. But let me tell y'all, within hours, Officer Davis knew about the complaint and he knew that Kim had filed it. So now unbeknownst to Kim, she's in danger. Yeah. So there's like really, really no protection for anyone. And also everyone who lives in New Orleans can't keep their mouth shut. Let's put a pin in that for a second because New Orleans at this point was actually getting really sick of it because it was starting to affect tourism. Right. In a city like New Orleans, if you don't have tourism, you don't have a city. Yeah. And so they're like, we got to figure this out. So they did. They brought on a new captain and his name was Richard Pennington. I love that last name. And it was October 13th and he was supposed to be sworn in that day. Now, this was the day after Kim Groves filed that police report that was meant to be confidential. wasn't confidential. And by that time, New Orleans had 340 homicides that year. Yeah. It's a lot. It's wild. Kim Groves and her daughter Jasmine were home planning a birthday party. 
Well, it was the day before my birthday, and she was singing happy birthday. And she said she was going to get a drink, you know, going to walk to the bar, and she was going to come back, and we was going to plan my party. Kim Groves left her around 8 o'clock. She went out into the balmy night and headed to a local bar. It was the last time her daughter would ever see her alive. So that day, Kim was planning her daughter's birthday party, right? The day that this new chief of police is being sworn in. She's planning a birthday party with her daughter, and she does what any good New Orleanian would do. She goes, you know what? This is a little exhausting, planning your birthday party. I'm going to go to the bar for a second and have a cocktail. Because let me tell you, there's a bar within a two-block radius everywhere in New Orleans. And so she walks to the local bar to have a cocktail. So her daughter Jasmine is here. Yeah. And she's she's here in this interview. And she basically explains she left at 8 p.m. And a well-known drug dealer by the name of Paul Cool Hardy came and shot her. Yeah, I mean, literally shot her dad. And what Kim Groves didn't know is that earlier that day, she had been followed. Yeah. She was being followed by a man in a cop car, and he was on the phone giving a description of what Kim was wearing to Paul Coolhardy. What a stupid name. And you know how we know all this? Because the FBI got it all on tape. And you know who it was? It was Officer Davis. Yeah, and so everything was recorded. Everything was there. And listen, New Orleans didn't really acknowledge the homicide. Now, Richard Pennington is here, and he's like, basically, I was being sworn in at the same time. I was there, mimosa in hand, shaking hands, rubbing elbows, saying hi, having a beignet. Is that how you pronounce that? You did good. Having a beignet and (laughs) eating some crawfish and gumbo. Oh, he was doing a lot. Yeah, he was was having a lot of food. Catching some beads, throwing some beads, doing some shooters. He was was wearing green and purple. (laughs) Cutting up a king cake. Yeah. I know. Joey used to bring king cakes to Kiki Boots. Yeah. That baby thing is creepy. Is it? It's really creepy, but a king cake tastes really good. Right after I was sworn in, the special agent in charge of the New Orleans field office pulled me inside and said, we need to talk, and I asked him, could it wait till Monday or the next day? He said, no, we need to talk right away because uh, I have some information you need to know about. And then he whispered in my ear and told me that the FBI... Uh, had been investigating a drug gang operating in the police department. And they had already targeted at least six to nine police officers. Richard Pennington is loving his New Orleans life. And after being sworn in, an FBI agent in charge of, like, New Orleans was like, hey, congrats, can... Can we talk? He's like, honestly, I've got a bit of a champagne buzz. Yeah, can um, I wait till Monday? Yeah, can I wait till Monday? He's like, actually, no, it can't. But, like, finish your Bellini, and, and then we'll, like, have a have a chat. You have to hear this. Yeah, and that's when Pennington was informed that the FBI had been investigating and monitoring a drug gang operating within the New Orleans Police Department, and there's, like, nine officers involved. Yeah. Now, though this tragedy did happen with Kim at the same time, they don't know this yet. This no. is like happening over. He didn't over, find out until yeah. the next day. Yeah, he didn't find out to the next day. But meanwhile, everyone in the neighborhood heard about Kim's murder and it was so scary. The call is literally coming from inside the house. Literally coming from oh within the house. Oh my gosh. And so put a pin in that because Here's where the FBI sting, what was it, Operation... Shattered Shield? Yeah, came to a screeching halt. This 
Ellen, this like took me out. Yeah. We, we chatted about it earlier, but I mean, I was like, I had to stop and rewind it to make sure that I heard that correctly. Yeah. So obviously the FBI could no longer let Officer Davis and his partner, Officer Williams, continue what they were doing. They murdered someone and it was on tape. It was on tape. Yes. It's terrible. Which also I want to be like, if y'all know they were about to kill her, why didn't you stop them? You knew that it was going to happen. They bugged everything. They knew that those two men were conspiring to kill Kim to shut her up. Yeah, I wonder if they were monitoring it or they were like, let's go back to the tapes. Oh, shit. Like, I wonder if they had someone monitoring it all day, every day. I would be very curious to know that. Because they monitored, like, the squad car, his house, you know, they monitored so many. Yeah. But here's the other thing that even Officer Davis and Officer Williams didn't know is that those other corrupt cops that David had recruited to help with that big shipment of cocaine— Yeah, those cops were like, what if we steal all that cocaine for ourselves by murdering the couriers? Those couriers are undercover FBI agents. Yeah. How fucking crazy. Yeah, and they were like, "Uh, Operation Shattered Shield needs to end. Yeah. They were like, abort mission now. They were just in over their heads. I mean. I don't think they even realized. Yeah. Maybe they did. So now they have to come up with a new plan. In November of 1994, They took the operation on the road, bringing dirty cops out to the Mardi Gras truck stop to guard another bogus cocaine shipment. The last sting netted two more cops who wanted to get in on the action. So it's November in 1994. Great year from you there. And they basically had all of these corrupt cops go to this Mardi Gras truck stop to watch this cocaine handover that was going to happen. But here's the thing. Like, not so much the murdery stuff, maybe the murdery stuff. I'm sure shit happens like this all the time. Sure. Absolutely. Just maybe not in this vast amount of people that were involved. They had to find a way to get everybody in one place at one time. Yeah. Which they did. And also, this thing that was going to happen, somehow they got two more corrupt cops to get involved. So they cast their net even wider and they got more fish. And they're all arrested. Officer Davis is there. Paul Coolhardy, who had actually was the one who pulled the trigger in, in the murder of Kim Graves. And several other guys. Well, of course, the news hits the, the next day and everyone in New Orleans is like, come on my way. Yeah. And everyone was like, remember Kim Groves? She was murdered. By, by a, a cop. cop. And I think what happened with Kim's death is that for the first time, and I've been doing this for over 20 years, for the first time in this community, you saw a, a genuine sort of horror across class lines, across race lines, a community-wide sort of realization that, oh my God, um, can something like this really be happening in this community and we've got to do something. And so Mary Howell is here and she's the attorney for the Groves family. And she basically says that everyone was shocked and it kind of like united everyone. And poor Richard Pennington was like, I inherited a mess. A a hot, shitty mess. Yeah. He was like, yeah, the likes of which we have not seen since Meghan Markle. (laughs) Why? She inherited a mess. Oh, yes. Poor Meghan Markle. Yeah. Have you watched that documentary? I have. And it is fascinating. And I have to say, I've never been somebody who cared much about the royal family. Obviously, everyone loved Princess Diana. And I do love her for, you know, a myriad of reasons. But like, one. Oh, the fact that she was like, I don't give a fuck about the royal family. There's an AIDS epidemic happening and I'm going to shake this man's hand. Were you the one that told me that she took her sons to McDonald's to keep them humble? 
I did not tell you Someone that. Someone told me I have I, never. But let me tell you, McDonald's will humble anybody, okay? <laughs> She's like, you're going to get this indigestion, <laughs> and you're going to like it, and you're going to know that castle food doesn't give you the runs, and McDonald's does. Someone told me that. And maybe... I thought it was you. I don't, well, I have n- I have never heard that information. No, in my she life. wanted them right, right, to right, like. Right. Keats, today we're going to learn a, quite a lesson. Yeah, we're going to go over to McDonald's uh-huh. and I'm going to shove a Big Mac down your throat. Yeah, and then you're going to get the poopy squirts. <laughs> And like you said, everybody was united in their outrage. Yeah. It didn't matter. From all over New Orleans, where people were like, enough. Yeah. And so now Officer Davis and his accomplices are sitting in front of a grand jury with all of the evidence that the FBI has collected in front of them. And in April of 1996, the trial began. Yeah. And they were like, we're just going to see if there's enough evidence. And the FBI was like, how about these tapes? <laughs> yeah. How about these videos? The actual recording. And then Len Davis's attorney was like, yeah, fuck. Back. Yeah. They were like, I think we have enough to take him to trial. And then Len Davis's attorney did something really disgusting. Yeah. So Officer Davis, he made a claim that Kim Groves was a crackhead. Those are his words, not mine. They were like, we're conducting our own investigation. Yes. They claimed that Kim Groves was a drug addict who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. As their proof, they submitted autopsy reports that show Groves had crack cocaine in her system at the time of her death. Groves is no longer the perfect martyr of a corrupt police force. The defense repositioned her as a crackhead who got too close. Okay. What what are what are you deducing from that? Well, they're that trying to dis- paint her as Exactly. They're yeah. trying to assassinate her character, say she was walking on the street, walking around. I don't care. I don't care what also, she had in her system. Well, let me tell you something. They didn't think that plan all the way through because here was the flaw in that plan. What they didn't count on was the prosecutor's secret weapon, which was Davis's old partner, Sammy, Sammy Williams. Sammy Williams was like, hold up, hold up, hold up. If I tell you what's up, tell you everything yep. straight up, I will tell you everything, tell all the secrets, can I not go to jail? Yeah, the, he saw the writing on the wall from the very beginning and was like, I will give you what you want. I'll give you all the information you need. I can fill in the blanks. He is and he straight like, up chunk from Goonies. <laughs> He's like, I'm in the third grade. I just thought. In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my My favorite part of that whole scene is when she turns on the blender. He's like, no, I want to learn to play the violin. It's so funny. But Sammy is just like, I will watch this canary. Put me in a cage. I will sing. Let's go. And now remember, the FBI had set up cameras and tape recorders everywhere. And there was a lot of code words being used in terms that these corrupt officers would use. And Officer Williams helped the prosecutor and the grand jury understand what all of it meant. And what it all meant was they were in some deep shit. Where, yeah. They, Sammy is like that meme with all the, like, pins on the board. Yes. And the jury is like that meme with that woman looking out and all of those math problems. They <laughs> yes. were like, what? They were like, listen, not only will I tell you what these words mean, I also have been taking a course in babble and swamp talk. <laughs> yep. So I can, yeah, I can also <laughs> translate the New Orleans. Yeah. And it was like, ooh, Sean, that's good, yes, sir, because yeah. they had, that was my. And then the whole jury goes <laughs> and turns to say, I just turned. I turned. It's, yes. not, a, it's not a visual it medium. I turned. Yeah. And Sammy's like, yeah, 
What do you want? I will do it for you. I do not want to be eating bologna pudding for the rest of my life. Think about it. I have it. How's the bologna pudding today? Is it hot or cold? It's creamy. It's creamy today. (laughs) It's chunky. I would not survive in prison. Neither would I. Yeah. That's why I'm not trying to. I try to be a law-abiding citizen. Williams' testimony hurt Davis, but wasn't nearly as damaging as Davis himself. Though he never took the stand, Davis's own words were what finally damned him. Remember, the FBI had tapes of everything. And when we hear a recording of Officer Davis hearing the confirmation of Kim's murder coming through, and that man celebrated, Mm -hmm. you can hear him cheering that she was dead. And everyone who heard that tape was shocked, horrified, and disgusted. It was menacing. Hello? Yeah, what happened? It's confirmed, Dad. And basically they said that he was like screaming in glee. Yep. Which, full circle, back to Leah Michelle. We can bring it all back to that. See you next Tuesday. I hate this podcast. I hate you. I hate being here. I quit. They did. They said, but it's true. Don't you ever mention her in my presence again. (laughs) Wow. That's good, Ellen. Honestly. Finally, eight months after Kim Grove's murder, the trial was coming to a close. It was time for the city of New Orleans to look in the mirror and see what it had become. The trial concluded on April 25th. It took the jury three days to reach a verdict, but only 40 minutes to decide on the punishment. Oof, and that sentence was, I was, I I didn't, death penalty. Yeah, they both got, the death penalty, Officer David and Paul Coolhardy, who was, the again, the man who shot Does the Does Louisiana the still have the death penalty? It is still a thing. It is. Because there are some states that don't have the death penalty. There are some states that have a moratorium on the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah, no, they do. So those other nine cops, those other ones who were assisting with all of the drug trafficking, they also got federal drug charges. And then for those federal drug charges, in addition to the life sentence and the death penalty, they were like, Len, also, you get life in prison for the drugs too. He's like, oh, okay. So yeah, they were fucked. (laughs) So they were fucked. And here's the other thing. He is still alive though. Now officer, he is. Mm -hmm. What else do you know? I know stuff, but let's keep talking. Okay. So now I Officer Sammy stuff. Williams was given a much lighter sentence because of his cooperation, and he was immediately placed into the witness protection program. That's yeah. wild. And people were outraged about it. They were like, how does that piece of shit get off? But they needed him. He was yeah. the he was the nail in that coffin. You have to. I know. I, I go back and forth with that, with like informants, but it's like if you're gonna get the top dog. Well, you know what's crazy, and this is this is the thing that really I don't. He's not a good guy. I, I don't. I don't want to hear it at all. Because on that same recording, when we hear Len Davis be like, "Yes," after hearing that Kim was murdered, mm-hmm. Officer Williams is going, "Fuck yeah, that whore!" That's what he's screaming in How the background. How do you know that was him? That was him. So I'm like, "Fuck you!" You really? Were, How do you yeah, know? He was just as complicit. It was in the subtitles. I had the subtitles on, and it said Williams. Screaming. Oh, yeah, something man, about that whore. I didn't see that. Yeah, so he was just as excited as that other dickhead. Yeah. For the first time in years, the air of mildew and decay seemed to lift in New Orleans. The ancient gods of the muddy river had been appeased by the official sacrifice of Lynn Davis. But everyone is kind of like feeling better now that 
those people are in jail, I guess. And poor Richard Pennington is like, uh, the ink wasn't even dry. Yeah, I truly. didn't get any kind of Andover period, and my Bellini was flat. There were no bubbles in the champagne. Well, I mean. And he's like, I have a lot of work to do. I need to restore this city. I need to restore people's confidence in the police, which is already hard enough as it is. And, you know, he's like, I didn't even get a filet mignon that night. I mean, can I tell you the truth? Yeah. I don't know that he ever was successful in that. I don't no. think that the relationship between people and and the NOPD was ever like fully repaired. I I, I don't know about that. I mean, it's like L.A. I mean, L.A. has. Right. I mean, from Rodney yeah. King. Yeah. Like nothing has ever, you know, really, really gone back. But Kim was sort of like revered as like a martyr. Her untimely passing was the impetus to really get things a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, you're I telling mean, the, me they didn't really, like, get better, no, so... No, 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 they did. I mean, the, the murder rate did lower. I mean, by 1998, it was half of what it was in 1994. It's still not great, but yeah. it was half. And so things were working. I mean... Pennington was like, officers have to get more training. You have to get more resources in here and a hell of a lot more supervision. Yeah. But it's so sad that someone had to die in order for this to, this yeah. sort of change to happen. Listen, we know there are good cops. We know there are bad cops. You know what creeps me the fuck out? That fucking Brian Koberger wanted to be a cop. He applied to be a cop. I know. I mean, it happens. It is horrifying. You know, there are people who can really, really hide their evil. Now, I did a little bit of research yeah, on New me. Orleans. Well, because honestly, when I think of dangerous metropolitan cities, for some reason, New Orleans doesn't come to my mind. So I didn't know a lot of this. But in the first half of 2022, 2022, New Orleans had the highest, highest homicide rate out of any major city in the United States. So in research from 100,000 residents, they found 41 homicides per 100,000 residents. And let me give you some perspective. Chicago, 11.5. LA, 4.8. New York, 2.4. I feel like I just woke up from a nap. I had no idea. Also, I was looking up the 10 worst neighborhoods in New Orleans. And do you know what number four is? And I'm not kidding. What? Florida. <laughs> it says Florida. Where is that? It says Florida. Florida? It says Florida. Like Florida Boulevard? I saw I Florida. I don't know. I mean, honestly, you know, they attribute a lot of it to the police department being overwhelmed because guess right now in 2022, the end of 2022, guess what the 911 response time, the average response time was for 911? What? Two and a half hours. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Two, they just, they're, they're overwhelmed. They don't have the manpower. Well, I mean, also, again, I don't think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of initiative for people to become cops. Yeah. Because they're still not paid well there. That's insane. You got to turn it around. Listen, if I could turn around 2017, New Orleans can turn this shit around. Yeah. Because that was a, that was dark. New Orleans is a magical city. There's just a lot of, there's a, there is a lot of corruption and there's also a lot of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. There is poverty. There is, you know, there are parts of New Orleans that people don't care about. And it's like, you've got to change that. Yeah. You've got to, you've got, you've got to change that. I honestly have been begging you to change your attitude for years. It'll and never well, happen. Yeah. So you ain't better than me. I, I, you have an attitude. I've seen it. Where is that? Okay. Let you be hungry for two minutes and then we'll talk. Oh, I do get hangry. 
You've only seen me hangry once. I've been actually really hangry like three times in like 10 years. Yeah. Well, I saw one of three. Well, yeah, you did. The other one was on a mountain in Tahoe. I was like, watch out. It's going to blow. <laughs> I'm like, does anyone have a licorice stick? <laughs> Anything with an immediate jolt of sugar. Say something funny. I'm pleasant. I just saw Drum Eatington this morning at the Piggly Wiggly and I smiled at the son of a bitch. Lord, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> Anel, take your Bible and shove it where the sun doesn't shine. <laughs> Steel Magnolias makes everything better. <laughs> Yo, we still don't know it. We still don't know it. We don't know it. Thank you, down bitches. That was a really interesting episode. It was fascinating. It wasn't. A, it wasn't like super haywire or anything in terms of you know reenactment acting or Marsha Clark showing up or anything like that. But that was really really fascinating. Thanks for telling us so much about New Orleans. I don't know if I how much I helped out though. <laughs> I have no idea. But if you would like to connect with us on social media, please find us at I Think Not Pod on all your platforms. You got your Instagram. You got your Twitter. You got your Facebook. You got your TikTok. You can find Joey at It's Joey Taranto. And you can find me, Ellen Marsh, on all platforms. Please give us a follow. We love seeing you. We love hearing from you. We love seeing all your pretty faces. And if you're feeling fancy, why don't you go on over to the iTunes review and leave us a really nice five-star review. But if you don't have anything nice to say... Go give Daisy some shit. Uh, yeah, go give <laughs> Daisy Egan some shit. She's had an easy life. We love you, dumb bitches. Thank you so much for listening and for always spreading your love. Don't forget to tag us. If you ever post anything on social media, we will be sure to repost. We really, really do appreciate you bringing new ears to us, and we love you so much. I love you, Joey. I love you, Yellow Marsh, and I love you, DBs. And you know what I have to say? Wow. Well, Les le bon temps roule. That means let the good times roll. I mean, we're talking people in the same dressing room. Yeah. She'd be like, this is for you. And then she would look at the people who weren't invited and be like, sorry, I, you're not invited to my party. She's horrible. But I, I also heard she got hep C. So she got hers. What? I made that up. <laughs> she doesn't have hep C. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway. Anyway. So un- wow. <clears throat> oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, also like, uh, what was I going to say? Wow. That just came as quickly as it went. But- no, it just went as quick. Wow. <laughs> Anyone? A gobstopper, mayhaps? Do you have some sweet tarts at the bottom of your purse, Nancy? I'm starving. What does Nancy have? Keep Nancy out of this. Is a pomegranate? (laughs) Is that a pomegranate I see in your bag? I am starving. Ellen Marsh, I keep forgetting to say my name, and Joey Taranto are recapping, re-going over. That made no sense. What are you saying? uh, Something bad's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. I am telling you, if those of you who do not live in New York City, you do not understand. I must have eaten some garlic. There is a vampire hanging upside down in my closet. Something bad is going to happen. Honey, you survived a podcast with Patrick Hines for two years. I think you're good. You've paid your (laughs) penance. 